Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, So some of you may have seen today, I I put out a a few different posts out there in uh, kind of the social media world, uh, mostly on LinkedIn, um, but that we have special guests with us today in a lot of ways. Um, someone who is a university distinguished professor of psychology at Northeastern University uh, in Boston, has appointments at the uh, Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School, um, and she is among the top 1% most cited scientists for her revolutionary research in psychology and neuroscience. So I'm just delighted and excited to introduce um, to you the, the audience that uh, has been here every week, um, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. Welcome, Lisa. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you, Brian. Yeah, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know we've been trying to get you for a while, and I am, I'm, I'm, you know, just excited to jump right in. Um, before we went live, you know, <laughs> talking to Lisa, I have so many questions that I want to ask, and so it's hard to do it all in 30 minutes, and so I'm just going to jump right in and start out by, you know, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing at Northeastern and, you know, in collaboration with um, Harvard uh, Medical School in neuroscience. Um, um, I know you have, uh, you know, labs and things like that. Tell us a little bit about the work. Yeah. Part of my lab is at Northeastern University in the downtown Boston campus, and part of my lab is um, at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital, the Charlestown site, where we do most of our brain imaging work. And um, initially the lab began, uh, you know, we have about 25 full-time scientists in the lab. Some are graduate students, some are postdoctoral fellows, some are, are just full-time researchers. Um, initially we started doing research on the nature of emotion, really trying to understand how your brain and your body work together uh, along with the context to, um, to to make emotions. And it turned out that this is actually a really good, mm, like, flashlight, if you will, for understanding just how your brain works mm-hmm. and what its most important job is and how your mind emerges from this interaction, this constant conversation between your brain and your body and the other brains and bodies that you interact with in your Mm -hmm. daily life. And so we study all kinds of things related to understanding really basic questions about how your brain and your body and the world around you create your experiences and control your actions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear you refer to it as your brain and body interacting with other brains and bodies. Uh, interesting way to look at it. Um, I, you know, I, I initially thought about um, seeing, at least trying to spend um, our time uh, talking a little bit about your article 
that you wrote about um, that that we we ha- actually have more than five senses, right? You 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 have um, a number of ways in which you've described um, what goes beyond. I guess it, you refer to it as interoception um, uh, versus those five senses. Um, can you explain a little bit what you mean? Because, uh, you know, we, we learned from a very early age about those five senses of, uh, you know, touch and taste and smell and others. And, and so now you've said that there's, there's actually more to it than that. What do, explain a little bit about that. Sure. Well, there's a, you know, there are different ways we could talk about this. We could talk about this in terms of evolution and when did, when did you know, when did the five the so-called five senses evolve, and I have to tell you that they're not—they're not the early ones. You know, the earliest mm. ones are not uh, are not sight and sound, like not uh, vision and, and hearing um, or taste. Um, so, uh, and there's a whole evolutionary story there. But given that we only have 30 minutes, maybe I'll just say the following. You know. Right now, you and I and every one of our listeners has a whole drama going on inside their bodies. You have lots and lots and lots of systems that are interacting with each other, and they are sending sense data back to, to the brain. Um, we're not aware of that. At least I, I hope we're not. Like, if you are actually um, aware of what's going on inside your own body, I, you have my deepest sympathies because it probably <laughs> means you're incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable and distracted. Um, sure. But for the most part, you know, those, um, that, those, are, those senses collectively are referred to as interoception, meaning your brain is modeling the sensory state of your body in ways that you're just not aware of, in, at least not aware of in the same way that you uh, consciously experience vision or, or, um, or hearing and so on. Mm-hmm. And then, but then there are other senses, you know that we have that our, our brain constructs out of bits and pieces of information. The one that I find most fascinating is wetness. So mm. you're outside walking and, you know, it starts to rain and a raindrop drops on your skin and you feel wet, right? Or take mm-hmm. a shower and you feel wet mm-hmm. or you exercise mm-hmm. and you sweat, you feel wet. Mm-hmm. Well, it mm-hmm. turns out that wet, there are no wetness sensors in your skin, um, your brain takes information about temperature and information about touch and combines it to create mm. the sensations of wetness. And I just thought that was so, you know, incredibly cool. You know, as a neuroscientist, you're constantly like in, in, encountering really cool stuff about how brains work, but I never cease to be amazed by these things. And mm-hmm. then that got me thinking about, well, you know, flavor actually um, is, is also a combination. It's a combination of taste and, um, and smell. And in fact, it's mostly smell. Uh, and so we, you know, we don't just have five tastes we, uh, that we can taste. We combine them. The brain combines that information to make flavor. And there are other senses that we have that we don't really have names for. For example, um, sensing, uh, you know, the light and dark, basically, 
that runs or, or engages your circadian rhythm. So you have all these chemicals which, you know, fluctuate up and down um, throughout the day, and they're really entrained by the amount of light that we, um, that we receive from the re- our retinas. So your retina, it turns out, isn't just for seeing. It's also for mm-hmm. regulating chemicals in your body that are related to, you know, sleep and wake cycles that you mm-hmm. go through every day. Sure, sure. You know, it, it's interesting that you say that because well, let me go back to the whole idea of wet. Um, I, you know, just when you said that, it, you know, it, it is fascinating to think about because uh, I never really gave it much consideration because it's one of our earliest memory. You know, that when we are, you know, we, we've known about touching water and how water feels or any other liquid substance, we know what that feels like. And so it's something we've had around us so long, um, I think we kind of take for granted, but I never thought about it kind of being a hybrid sense, if you will, of temperature and touch and and just never thought about it that way. That's that's really, yeah. uh, really fascinating. It's, it's cool, right? It's really cool. Yeah. And the other thing I think that, that's really cool is, is that these – senses that these extra senses, if you will, that our brain is computing, it's computing them in exactly the same way that it computes our five senses. So Mm -hmm. you don't actually see with your eyes, you see with your brain, you don't hear Mm -hmm. with your ears, you hear with your brain. If you pinch your skin, you don't feel that pinch actually in your skin, you feel it in your brain. Mm. So the idea, for example, that you have feelings in your body or that your body is holding feelings is just incorrect. It's just mm-hmm. anatomically, uh, uh, scientifically incorrect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a common thing to say now that, um, you know, after adversity or trauma, you know, the body keeps score. The body doesn't keep score. You know, the brain keeps score. Uh-huh. And the body is the score card. The body mm-hmm. is the scorecard. Mm-hmm. So your mm-hmm. brain is the source of all of your senses and your experiences. It's taking sensory information from the sensory surfaces of your body and concocting uh, experiences in ways that um, are very complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think about um, and when you just also mentioned about how we – we take inf- our brain uses the information uh, around sight as an example uh, to regulate the body in certain ways. And one one way that um, that I learned uh, from traveling to different time zones, particularly around the world, was about how to make sure. Uh, how to very quickly adjust your time by you know making sure your body experiences the sunlight. Um, and and you, exactly. your body, yeah, your body shifts, um, you know, from one place to the next much faster if you allow the sun to come in. It, it's on this rhythm, um, and so that's one way that I can see how just kind of knowing the neuroscience helps us and and works for us. But so why is it important? You know, you you have this information. How can we, the kind of ordinary people? Um, use this information to our benefit. 
um, and, and much of what you're learning in your lab uh, around that? What are some of the ways in which we can use this information? Well, um, I've written two books about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's really helpful for your for you to understand how your brain works because mm-hmm. it it actually provides um, helpful guidance for mm-hmm. uh, you in in everyday life. So, for example, um, you know, your brain is um, your brain's really brain's most important job is not thinking or feeling or even seeing, it's actually running the systems of your body. And everything you think and feel and see and hear and so on is in the service of regulating your body in a metabolically efficient manner. Now, you know, we don't experience our lives that way. I Mm -hmm. certainly don't experience every hug I receive or every uh, insult I bear uh, as uh, in the service of regulating my body, but that's actually what's happening under the hood. And, and, it's, and you can think about this process. It has a fancy scientific name called allostasis, but mm. really what your brain is doing is it's running, you know, metaphorically, it's running a budget for your body, and um, it's monitoring uh, in, you know, deposits like sleep or you know, food, um, and it's also monitoring expenditures. So, mm. like, you know, the two most expensive things your brain can do is move your body and learn something new. Mm-hmm. So during the day, if you feel that you don't have the spoons to do something, like you just don't have the energy, you know, you just mm-hmm. feel really... Um, encumbered, you know, like just like you're just fed up with things and you mm-hmm. just don't, you, just, you know, you just can't pay attention or you just don't, you just don't have the spoons to do what you need to do. Oftentimes we experience um, this as, um, as sadness or um, as being stressed or feeling overwhelmed. And we look around the world, to our world, to our environments, to figure out what is stressing us so much. But, you know, mm-hmm. all stress is, is your brain preparing your body for a big metabolic outlay. Mm. There's good stress and there's bad stress. Good stress is the kind of stress that leads to a healthier you. You know, you exercise, that's a big metabolic outlay. And then you replenish, yep. you, 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 you sleep, you drink water, you, you know, you have a protein drink, whatever. It's an investment in... Um, building a, a healthier, you know, brain and, and, and body um, in the future. And bad stress is really where, you know, your brain is constantly preparing you for these metabolic outlays and either you don't, um, you know, you don't uh, replenish sufficiently or, um, or actually there, it's, it's unnecessary preparation. You know, your brain's preparing you for something, a threat that never really materializes. Mm-hmm. And that actually, what you're, what's happening is you're paying a little bit of a metabolic tax. So mm-hmm. every time, and you know, taxes mm-hmm. add up, and then you start running a deficit. And if you're running a deficit, you know, you become uh, very vulnerable to metabolic illnesses like mm-hmm. heart disease and diabetes and depression, and ultimately, you know, Alzheimer's disease. Yes, so why yes. is it important to know this? Because you know, in the moment, 
you can ask yourself whether, you know, did you get enough sleep? Did you eat healthily? Are you going out for a walk enough? Is, you know, are the people around you, are they metaphorically, you know, making deposits into your body budget or are they actually Mm -hmm. making withdrawals? Mm -hmm. Um, It just helps you understand where your feelings come from to some extent and how to architect your life in such a way um, that, um, that, that you have a little more control. Not everybody has control over everything, but everybody has control over something, right? Uh-huh. Everybody can do something to, to um, and similarly, if you're a leader or you're a manager or you're somebody who influences other people, you, you need to understand that part of your ability to positively impact the outcomes of other people is related to whether you are um, supporting their body budgets or not. You know, are you making, mm-hmm. are you taking some of the burden from them? Do they trust you? Are you predictable to them? You know, these things matter because trust stems from predictability and things that are people who are unpredictable, people who are, um, uh, we can't predict what they're going to do. And there's a lot of uncertainty um, about their actions or the meanings of their actions or where there's just sort of social chaos. These things are like super expensive um, for, uh, for a human body budget, and they are to be avoided. Right, right. And so, um, so now that makes sense to me where we talk about sometimes people drain you. Is that, is that yeah, uh, exactly. what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I'll, but, you know, on the other hand, uh, Brian, you know, sometimes, you know, if you if you ever lose a loved one and you feel, you know, that you've lost a part of yourself, it's because you have. You've, you've lost someone who is helping to tend your body budget mm. and uh, now they're gone. Mm-hmm. And you feel it. I mean, you feel it as um, as discomfort and pain because actually now, you know, it's like removing a, the leg of a table, you know, eventually right. you'll find your equilibrium again, but it, it does require your brain to make some adjustments because, mm-hmm. you know, the best thing for a human body budget is another human. The worst thing for a human body budget is also another human. So, uh, and it also allows you to think about your, not just other people's impact on you physically, but also what kind of impact do you want to have on other people? Who do you want to be as a person? Do you want to be mm-hmm. somebody who, who you know, makes other people function better? Or do you want to be a drain, you know, like a, you want to be a, somebody who comes with added metabolic tax? Right, so to right, speak. right, right. Um, well, this is so fascinating because I've, I've had conversations with uh, colleagues, family members, but um, quite a few people about even uh, things like the impact that, say, television shows or what we read on the Internet, also how those impact our body um, and that those – I remember – and, and it – it, it didn't come from a neuroscientist. It, you know, I think about being told at a very early age, garbage in, garbage out, right? So it wasn't just about what also physically went into your mouth, but also kind of um, 
the the emotional aspects of what ended up in your brain. Um, and so not that it's all garbage, but that it is that it is there are aspects of of what we're experiencing in the world through our senses uh, actually uh, can be internalized as well. Is that is that accurate? Oh, it's extremely accurate, Brian. And in fact, you've intuited something. I, I think that's that's really crucial for, for people to understand it. And again, it's in both books, both seven and a half lessons about the brain and, and how emotions are made. And that is, it's not just that some of what you experience is internalized. Mm. Your brain wires itself to the world that you inhabit. And that means not just, you know, the physical world that you inhabit, but the social world that you inhabit. So, the things that you read, the movies that you watch, the people that you talk to. You know, a little infant brain is not a miniature adult brain. It's a brain that is receiving wiring instructions from the world, from the physical world, but also the social world. And little brains, you know, little brains are born kind of under construction. And they quickly um, learn you know, experience, they quickly learn information from the world and from their own bodies. And that information gets used to create experiences and to um, guide action. And that never stops throughout our entire life. Um, You know, after the age of 25 or so, the speed with which we can learn slows down a little bit. And so, you know, brains are not as malleable in plastic, but they still are malleable and they still are plastic. And, I think it's really important to understand that it, the, the principle garbage in, garbage out really also works for not just food, but for information and um, experiences. So if you, um, you know, grow up in a culture that um, where, you know, that, that teaches you certain things, those things become basically wired into your brain, those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you, in order to change those beliefs, you have to cultivate new experiences for yourself, um, things that you can't predict that, that are an opportunity to learn. And you have to have the spoons for that. And so it's really, really important to understand that every experience you have today is, in a sense, cultivating a past that your brain is going to use to influence who you are in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, fascinating. And, you know, you know, you mentioned a couple of your, you, well, you mentioned that you have some books. Uh, there are two that um, I want to, I know we don't have much more time, but I, I, it's just going so fast. My mind is going a, a million miles a minute with these. Um, you've you've uh, given me a lot to thought to think about here. Um, first, I want to mention um, a book that I've, I've just ordered that's going to be in tomorrow. I'm excited to see um, a, that is seven and a half lessons about the brain. And so what I, what I liked about it is that you said in the description is that it kind of slices bits and pieces of 
things that we need to know about the brain and its development into kind of digestible. I think this is the one you referred to as a beach read <laughs> or somewhat. Yeah, my husband. That's, that's actually from my husband. He calls it the first neuroscience beach read. Um, it's basically seven and a half little essays um, that, you know, each essay isn't very long. Um, it's probably uh, probably the equivalent of a couple of, of um, subway stops, you know, on on uh, on the subway. Um, it each one, you know, teaches you a couple of tidbits of, of neuroscience so that you can, you know, wow your friends and family at dinner parties when we, you know, when we used to have dinner parties before mm-hmm. the uh, interminable uh, COVID situation. Um, but you know, so you learn a couple of really fun tidbits of neuroscience, and then it it it, it invites you each essay to um, to think about what these tidbits might mean about human nature, about what kind of human you are and what kind of human you want to be. And even though each essay is very digestible and it's a quick, each essay is a quick read. The questions that I raise linger with you for a much longer time. You know, it keeps mm-hmm. you thinking for a much longer time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I'm, I'm waiting. I can't wait to see that. Um, and then the, the second book that I do have and had the pleasure of reading, and I, I wholeheartedly recommend this one to people out there that have an interest in neuroscience in this area although we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, I found this to be fascinating. Um, it's How Emotions Are Made, um, and the subtitle is The Secret Life of the Brain. And there's so many amazing nuggets there and things that still left me, oh, I need more, I want more. And not mm-hmm. that that's, a, that's not a bad thing, it's just that um, – I think I'd need a degree in neuroscience to, to have everything answered that I want to have answered. But um, what I, there was one section that I, I recall in the book um, where you're talking about um, that, and, and this, is, this is shifting a little bit because I know um, initially we were talking about um, how, you, how your brain experiences the world a bit. Um, but now there is another area, and I think you do a lot of work around emotions in your lab. And, and this particular uh, area in the book where you're talking about emotions and the idea that your, your brain uh, constructs, uh, I think the way you put it, instances of emotion. Um, which actually blew me away was that um, somehow your brain is using your experiences and organizing them um, to 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 make meaning out of it. And so, I, I just again, I know we don't have much time, but but could you say a little bit more about that? Because I think I think there's some people out there too with me that would would love to understand um, how that works. Sure. I mean, basically, your emotions are not built into your brain from birth. They are built by your brain as you need them. And so your, uh, you know, your brain is regulating the systems of your body. Your body is constantly sending sense data back to your brain. And your brain is just 
receiving the the sense data that your brain receives are the outcomes of some changes that are occurring in your body, but your brain doesn't know what the causes are. It just knows the outcomes. So you feel mm-hmm. a tug in your chest. What is it? Is it heartburn? Is it uh, longing for someone? Mm-hmm. Is it the beginnings of a heart attack? I mean, your brain doesn't know. It only knows the outcomes. And so it, mm-hmm. has, to add, it has to use past experience to make a good guess of what those sense data mean in relation to what's going on around you in the world. So if you're just finishing dinner and you have a tug in your chest, your brain is going to, you know, make sense of that tug as indigestion. Um, And if uh, you're waiting at the airport for someone you haven't seen for a long time, or you're preparing to talk to somebody on Zoom that you, you know, on video that you haven't talked to in a long time, your brain will make sense of that tug in your chest as maybe longing or excitement or what have you. And, and if you are a woman and you go to the hospital with that tightness in your chest, you'll probably make sense of it, as will the physician, as anxiety, and they'll send you home. And in, if, they're, if you're wrong and they're wrong, uh, you know, your life is at risk. And mm-hmm. actually, women over the age of 65 die more frequently from heart attacks than men do of similar age for exactly that reason. So emotions are, they're stories that your brain tells itself. Your brain is guessing at what sense data from your body mean in the context of the environment that you are currently in. Mm-hmm. And when I say your brain is making sense, I don't mean in some abstract way. I mean, you experience the sense data as emotion. That's what an emotion is. That's what emotions mm-hmm. feel like mm-hmm. to you. It's not, it's not an as-if kind of experience. It's exactly the same as your brain constructing your, sen- your senses. It's exactly the same process, exactly mm. the same process. Wow, wow. Thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, for those of you listening, um, you, you, just in case you, you missed the titles of the the books, the, the one that I'm getting uh, in the mail tomorrow is uh, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. Uh, the author, again, who's with us today is Lisa Feldman Barrett. Um, and the, the one that we were just discussing that I, I wholeheartedly recommend to anyone, um, How Emotions Are Made, uh, The Secret Life of the Brain. Um, and, um, and so, Lisa, thank you so much um, for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to be with us. You're doing some amazing uh, work in your laboratory. And, and so, I mean, it's just it's so broad. And, and so now I see why, you know, you have such a wide following of, of, uh, made up of scientists and uh, lay persons as myself in this area. Um, there's so much in psychology and neuroscience that I am uh, hungry to learn and know about. And so I, I am, will continue to follow and just want to thank you so much for this conversation. I learned a lot, um, and I'm sure listeners did too. Uh, just wishing you a lot of success, continued success with your research. I'm going to be listening, looking for you on, on more TED Talks and and um, reading your work um, as well. So um, uh, I hope to hear from you uh, real soon out there in the uh, uh, publication world. Um, but until then, again, thank you. 
for being on the show. And until then, go well and stay well. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank you.